The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. What's the matter? You got a guilty conscience? Remember hearing that when you were a child? I do. And I remember that having a guilty conscience meant that you'd done something wrong. When you put that in reverse, you come to understand that we might not know we've done wrong unless we have a guilty conscience. We were all raised on this notion that guilt is a good thing. It helps us know when we've done or are about to do something wrong. On the other hand, we all know those people who identify as guilty. They introduce their problem with guilt by saying, I'm a good Catholic or I'm Jewish or I was raised Baptist. What these more extreme illustrations clearly demonstrate is that guilt is taught. In other words, guilt is not natural to us. Many would say, well, of course it isn't. That's why we need to teach people to feel guilty. (laughs) But what if guilt, any guilt, actually blocks the pathway to an authentic connection to the divine? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Because guilt is a fair constant in our minds. For many people, uh, guilt is like the way they manage their lives. Other people, it's just something they entertain every now and then that, you know, might be relative to something they've done in the past or something they regret having done or something that they're thinking about doing. But, uh, but guilt is one of those things that we have used down through the centuries since time immemorial to, to kind of rein ourselves in. Guilt is also something that we say uh, that people should have if they've done something bad. In other words, if you've done something bad and you don't feel guilty, there's something wrong with you. We say that about the antisocial personality disorder person or the uh, what we call the psychopath or the sociopath, all uh, synonymous terms. Uh, we say that they don't have any remorse, and what they mean, it, what we mean is they don't feel guilty. They're not sorry for what they've done. And uh, so we say, well, there's something wrong with them if they don't have that. Actually, what's wrong with a sociopath or an antisocial personality disorder is they don't feel their feelings, period. They're, uh, they're alexithomic. They don't have awareness of their feelings. Um, but occasionally you run into someone, and this is important to note, occasionally you run into a sociopath, and we do run into them frequently more than we know, um, that who does seem to feel emotions about certain things in their lives, but not other things in their lives. But uh, actually, they, they could just be being charming, which is a manipulative effort on their part to get something, which is what the sociopath is always about. And, or they, um, they do feel emotions like rage. Um, they don't typically feel fear. 
Um, but they, but the, the general overview is that they don't feel any emotion that makes them feel vulnerable. And um, so how could they feel guilty? Uh, guilty would be one of those things that you don't want to don't want to feel if you're a sociopath. And this kind of don't want to feel it happens at such a subconscious level that they're not even aware it's going on. That's why we call it alexithymic because there's not an awareness that they're repressing emotions. On the other hand, guilt uh, as as used in terms of you should feel guilty when what's the matter? You got a guilty conscience. I remember my sister saying this to me uh, sometimes when I'd be upset about being accused about about something that I didn't do that I was accused of doing. And, I, you know, I'd get more and more upset. And she would say, the more, you, more upset you get, the more you, uh, you know, talk about it, the more we believe you did it. <laughs> and I was like, well, I can't ever win this battle. So um, the, the idea is guilt is not what we really need to manage our lives. But let's talk about how we use it. Very often, guilt is used to, to, to push us to do things we don't want to do, but the, those things we think we should do. So guilt and should go hand in hand. The obligations and the duties of our lives go, go hand in hand with guilt. So, um, you know, we feel like that mom or uncle or aunt or sister or son or daughter or somebody needs something from us and we should give it to them. And therefore we do. Because we know that if we don't, we're going to feel really guilty. So what's happening there is guilt is, is sort of bribing us emotionally, saying, if you don't do this, you're going to feel really bad later. And we don't want to feel really bad later, so we go ahead and do it. And uh, so that's a form of emotional bribery. And there's an if and a then that goes with it. So it's a kind of bargaining as well. And the bargain says, I can stay related to people through guilt. I can make sure they don't reject me. I can make sure that they like me and think I'm a good person. Um, I can do all kinds of things with people because I manage my life by guilt. And so for those of you out there who are listening today who are managing your lives by guilt, uh, the, the idea here is that it is not authentic, nor is it natural. It is taught. Now, how do we teach people to feel guilty? So I'm a child, and I... Uh, reach out to grab something that my parents don't want me to have, and they either smack my hand or sternly reprimand me. Uh, hopefully it's getting to be less and less smacking and more and more uh, a reprimand of some sort, although it doesn't necessarily even have to be stern. Um, and and th- so I get from that that, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. But along with that comes this sense that is passed on even without words that says, that's bad. That's bad. And, and, and as we get more and more and more of that, we begin to identify with badness in some kind of way. Add to that that at about, you know, three, four, and five, we're already learning Bible stories or stories from the Old Testament or stories from the Quran or stories from some spiritual text that tell us about how life is and how it isn't. Um, and, and very commonly in the Western world, it comes from the Bible, although that's not as as, as true as it used to be, um, that it would always be the Bible. But, but it, it's very common that people will use a biblical text or a story with a moral to it that teaches children about badness and goodness. So there's a lot that goes on verbally about badness and goodness. There's also a lot that goes on non-verbally. And those are the most powerful messages. Those are the ones that we feel 
inside and we sort of take those in and go, ooh, this is, you know, this makes me something. As we've said probably hundreds of times on this radio show, we identify, we develop our identifications very early in life when we're still pre-verbal. So, for example, if a parent is irritated at a child because the child's pooped his pants, uh, and that commonly happens, we can get irritated, irrationally irritated at a child because now we have to go change diapers and we were busy doing something else and now we have to go change diapers. We can get irritated at our children, but if we do that on a common basis, if it's typical for us to be irritated with our children when they poop their pants or wet their diapers, then what, what, what's going to happen is the child is going to look at that feel that on an intuitive level and receive it as a part of his or her identity. It's an imprinting. It says, oh, I'm looking for mirrors and you're it. You're my mirror. And so you're telling me who I am by the way you respond to me. And that's how children re- get their identity. So when we, we see children that, that are young children that grow up to be, are, are not growing, are in the process of growing up to be what would later be called a sociopath, we can't, and, uh, we're not allowed in my field to diagnose that until after they reach adulthood. But, um, but we see all the signs and symptoms that are coming up, like um, harming animals and, and deliberately harming other children and things like that, that, that you, we begin to associate th- that this person is probably going to end up being a sociopath. It's very probable, or, or at least possible. Um, we, we may, s- we, we begin to say, well, how did they get to be that way? And so we've begun to look into the genetic uh, possibilities there. We've begun to say, well, did they just get born this way? Do, are, are some people just born bad? We talk about bad seed. You know, there's an old uh, uh, saying about the bad seed that, you know, there's nothing we can do about that. They're just bad seed and they need to be put in prison or something like that. Well, I'm not suggesting that we close down our prison systems, but I am suggest. Although I do have some ideas about that too, if you ever want to hear them. Um, but I, but, but I am suggesting that when we when we think of people in those terms, we're thinking that that's just something you can't do anything about. And certainly, there are people who would ascribe to the belief that you can't do anything about a sociopath. Um, so far, we haven't been able to come up with anything that really works. That doesn't mean we won't ever. Well, one of the things that might eventually work, in my opinion, is to look at the, the idea of badness as an identity. So a child may grow up in a home that identifies, he identifies with all the uh, subtle underpinnings and the subtle communications that are going on in the air that, that say to him that he's an irritant, he's, a, he's, he's bad for pooping his pants or wetting his diapers, and he's bad for needing anything, and he's bad for this or bad for that. And eventually the child begins to believe he's bad. So what's he going to do with that? He's going to have to act on it to prove that he exists. In order for my existence to be validated, I've got to have some kind of identity. And if bad is the only one, well, I'll take that over nothing because at least I exist that way. So I think that if we can work backwards with identity, uh, eventually we may begin to see some changes in, in uh, that personality disorder as well. Why did I say all that? Because that's an extreme example of what it's like to believe that we're bad people. I think commonly that people who manage their lives by guilt are people who are uh, believe that on some subliminal level they believe that they're bad people and they're trying really hard to prove that they're good by doing really good deeds all the time so that they can say that they're worthy. And that, that whole thing of worthiness 
is also a part of this whole dynamic of guilt. So we, we have divided the world up into good and bad. And the people that are good, well, they might be close to worthy, but they can't ever really arrive there. Because if you say to someone that you're worthy, well, then you're arrogant. And that means you're no longer worthy. Um, so it's kind of a catch-22. We can't ever get there, but we keep trying, don't we? We just keep pushing, pushing, plugging away, trying to be, trying to get there, trying to get to that place where we can finally say, okay, I'm good, I'm worthy, I got it, uh, and I'm okay now. But that whole paradigm is what is the problem. Because we've divided the world up into good and bad, we, we have divided everything we do and think and say and feel into good and bad. And therefore, we split ourselves off into these compartments where if it's bad, I don't want to know that I've done it or thought it or felt it. And uh, in, in the South, when you want to say something bad about somebody, you say, well, this is terrible, but and what you're really saying is, I kind of feel bad about saying this, but this is what I really believe about this person. And very often what comes out of their uh, person's mouth after that is a very discerning comment about that other person. It's not bad at all. It's just not Pollyanna. It's just not, you know, oh, they're so nice and sweet and isn't life wonderful. It's more of a discerning comment that that recognizes that this person is doing something that they may or may not be conscious of. So um, so this, this split off, I want to go back to that. It, that we split off, we say anything that's bad or, or unacceptable in any way goes into the unconscious and whatever is acceptable goes into the conscious. So I only allow myself to know uh, that which I consider to be acceptable. Now, if I've got a bad guy identity, what's the only thing that's acceptable to me is to be a bad guy. I can't accept things about myself that look good because they look too vulnerable. That looks too, I look like an easy mark to myself there. And I don't want to be that person, so I'm going to be bad instead. So I've put into the unconscious all that's good, quote unquote, about me. And um, I will only know about me what's bad. And the, uh, in the reverse, if a person's really striving to be good, they will only know what's good about themselves and put into the unconscious all that's bad or, or rejectable or uh, unacceptable in some kind of way. So that's how we split ourselves off. And it's really based a lot in this whole paradigm about good and evil, which brings us to the place of, of that guilty conscience. We can have the guilty conscience if we believe we've done something bad or are about to do something bad. And we can even feel guilty about things that we think or feel. And we shouldn't have those feelings. We shouldn't have those thoughts. So we start feeling guilty about that. And eventually what happens is, if we've, if we've identified with feeling guilty quite a bit in our lives, we begin to feel shame. Because shame is the out, outgrowth of an identification with, you know, I've, I'm guilty and I've got to be good, or I've, I've got to be good so I won't be guilty. Uh, shame, guilt says I've done something wrong or I'm going to do something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. And so eventually, if we feel guilty long enough and often enough, we begin to feel shame to, to a greater and greater degree. We can even identify wholly with shame to the point that we get very depressed and even suicidal. So shame is a bad guy. Shame is, shame is something we don't want to feel. And yet, there are still many people who are out there teaching us that we should feel ashamed when we've done something wrong. We should feel uh, that, that guilt feeling should lead us to a feeling of shame and that shame should make us confess and repent and never do it again. Uh, so if we can do that, if we can manage to pull that off, 
then we can tell ourselves that we're good people because we felt the appropriate amount of shame and the appropriate amount of guilt, and we have then decided we're not going to do it again. Only problem is that we do it again <laughs> because the the thing that we're doing has been pushed into the unconscious, and anything that's in the unconscious, like anything that's in the conscious world, has an energy, and that energy is going to pop back up sometime, and, it, and it's going to force its way out into the conscious life, or at least the into our behavior, even if we're not conscious of it, and we're going to act out that impulse to do that thing that we said we were never going to do again. And as long as we keep pushing it back into the unconscious, that's going to continue to happen. And that's why behavior change can't ever really be about trying hard not to do it again. It has to be a real transformative thing or behavior or a person doesn't really change. And so when I talk about transformative thing, I mean becoming more authentic, becoming more genuine, who you really are. And that means owning what's in the shadow, owning what's in the unconscious, so that we no longer hide from it or hide it from ourselves. We begin to, to recognize that, yes, I've got angry feelings. I've even got you know, murderous feelings sometimes because everyone on the planet does. They're irrational. They don't make sense. But we have those feelings. And sometimes they make really good sense to us. Like if someone has murdered a family member of ours, and there are listeners out there now who, who have had that experience, I'm sure of it. Uh, they've have had someone in their family be murdered by someone, and the first thing that comes up is, I want to go kill them. And so that's an, uh, uh, an impulse that's in all of us. We all have that sort of barbarian beast that lives down there inside of us that just wants to act on instinct. That's, you know, you did that to me, and now I've got to get you back. Um, and, and so when we're, when we're processing life that way, we tend to go, oh, ooh, that makes me a bad, I must not be very civilized, I must not be very good. We start defining ourselves by that impulse. But an impulse is just an impulse. It's just a feeling, just like I might have a, an impulse to move my finger, it's just that neutral. And I don't have to respond to it, I don't have to behave out of it, I can recognize it as part of my energy field, but I don't have to uh, participate in that energy. I can stand back and watch it and see what it has to tell me. Um, and, and that kind of observation, that kind of witnessing is what it means to become conscious. But guilt will actually keep us from becoming conscious. How does it do that? It keeps us in the realm of what's surface. It keeps us in the realm of, I've got to do this in order to make sure I don't feel bad later. I've got to do this now in order to make sure I don't feel bad later. Oh, now I've got to do this to make sure I don't feel la- bad later. And it becomes this almost obsessive-compulsive kind of uh, rhythm to it that says, in order for me to feel okay about my life, I've got to keep doing these compulsive things. Um, and it has just that that same kind of compulsivity to it, or it can get that same kind of compulsivity to it that... Uh, uh, an alcoholic feels for drink or uh, an addict feels for drugs or uh, an obsessive compulsive feels for cleaning. It can feel just that, that very urgent, I've got to do this or else. Um, and so we don't, we don't think of guilt that way. We don't think that it has that much power, but it absolutely can be just as damaging as a drug addiction uh, in that sense that we lose ourselves in it. We lose ourselves in it, and that's why it's dangerous. So we're going to be talking some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more right after this.
The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you just getting started on the path to metaphysical healing of yourself? Would you like to have some fun as you find out more? Join Julia Stubbe each week as she guides you through the Energetic Toy Box. This show will gift you the basic foundation and tools as you discover your spiritual path on a deeper level, encouraging the exploration of many facets and concepts such as chakras, healing, meditation, crystals, and more, so that you can use these in your daily life. The Energetic Toy Box is here for you every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Ask Theo Live channels to a new reality. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. It's a new year and a new you emerging. Join Dr. Judith Long on The Eye of the Needle Show each Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Dr. Long features your call-ins and emails to her that emphasize healing and new information about personal transformation and ascension. You have your own unique gift, and it's something that only you can do in your own particular way. Explore that gift. Be all that you can be. The Eye of the Needle with Dr. Judith Long airs live Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back. Uh, you know that uh, the Super Soul Sunday is one of the sponsors for uh, the Authentic Living Show, and this week we do not have a clip because it was unable; they were unable to get it ready in time for the for this uh, for this show. We, we happen early in the week, um, but I do want to tell you about what's coming up. Uh, she's going to sit down with Tim's story and talk to him about finding your calling. Uh, Tim's story is an acclaimed author and a motivational speaker and a life advisor. And she's going to talk to him about finding deeper meaning in life and how to transform a setback into a comeback at any age. In the episode, they discuss how Tim has helped guide people through some of life's most difficult circumstances, including cancer, drug addiction, depression, and divorce, and how to move forward when your situation seems insurmountable. They also talk about the power of manifesting dreams and how so many of us have the desire to live our dreams, yet very few of us have learned the strategies for doing it. A doctor of theology and known as the pastor to the stars, Tim's message of life transformation is widely received 
by people all over the world. And you also know that uh, Authentic Living is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a Ph.D., a doctor of ministry, or in the holistic theology program, a doctor of theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are holistic theology, holistic health, and holistic, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and meaning, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. The population of students includes doctors, lawyers, healers, nurses, ministers, counselors, psychologists, social workers, nutritionists, herbologists, homeopathy practitioners, psychics, mediums, and many others who have a special gift but need to learn to hone it and credential it. It also includes students who simply want to enhance their own profound spiritual journeys. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today about guilt and its mastery over many of our lives in either fashion, whether it's through trying very hard to do the right thing all the time or doing the really bad thing all the time because we believe that we already are guilty and bad and we have to act that out. So guilt is is dangerous when it reaches those extreme forms, but there are many people that will tell us that guilt is, uh, there is something called good guilt. And good guilt is the kind of guilt that would prohibit us from doing something wrong or challenge us to do something right. And so they say to us that we need that kind of guilt in our lives or else we'll do the wrong thing. Well, I think that that's a really uh, shallow view of it because I think that guilt is, as I said, taught. It isn't natural to who we are. We can teach children guilt by the way that we respond to them and they can identify with that and either become very guilty or be striving all the time to be good in order to not have to feel guilty. Um, and but it, 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 is it important that we have guilt? I would say that compassion and compa- excuse me, compassion and passion are enough by themselves. We don't need guilt. So if I am truly tapped into my deepest authentic self, then compassion is going to be there in it because that's who we all are. We are are connected to each other deeply, and we do know that. Uh, our experience of suffering on planet Earth is painful for anyone who experiences it, whether it's us or someone else. And we are, we, when we get down to the level of authenticity, we feel that connection deeply. As John Dunn says in Meditation 17, ask not for who the bell, the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And that kind of feeling goes with that. Um, Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. So what he was saying there is, my compassion knows your pain. 
and that is what is true about all of us when we when we are um, when we are thinking in terms of authenticity, we must think in terms of what's genuine inside of us. And what is genuine inside of us, though often hidden from many of us, is our compassion. And by itself, it would be enough to guide us. Also, our passion would be enough to guide us. So our passion says, this is something I enjoy doing. This is something that gives me joy. This makes me feel fulfilled. This raises me to a higher plane of existence. This makes me feel alive. All of those are terms that we use to describe our passion. Our passions are about how we live in the world, how we experience life on an internal basis, not just externally, but internally. And so when, when we talk about passion, if I, want, if I have a passion for serving other people, then my passion alone will get me there. I don't have to feel guilty to get there. I don't have to, uh, to um, make my, you know, sort of whip myself like the pony I'm trying to race away from the bad guys. I, I can just um, trust that my passion will be enough by itself to get me um, to the place where I understand what... I'm my own guidance. I understand my own truth. And so I'm, I'm, I'm able to, by passion alone, uh, manage my own behavior, manage my own thinking, manage my own feelings. And, and my passion connected to my compassion and my compassion connected to my passion are enough by themselves to give us the guidance we need. But that's not what we've been taught. We've been taught we can't trust the inner person at all. And part of that is the old biblical passage that says, out of the heart come all these evil things, you know, all murders and lying and all that kind of stuff. And yes, that's true. <laughs> Those also come from a heart, specifically a heart that's identified with badness or a heart that is trying to manage itself out of the surface or the learning of what's taught. But if we're going to the authentic self, that's the deepest essence of who we are. Now we're not just talking about heart. We're talking about soul. And so when we talk about that, we, the soul can then manage the heart. And, and we can then become, we can become with our behavior, our words, our thoughts, and our deeds, all the same person. We're all in alignment. We're congruent. We're doing the same thing with our head that we're doing with our heart. We're doing the same thing with our behavior that we're doing with our deepest soul. So... That's authenticity, and that's what this show is all about. That's why we have this show, and it's been running now for almost six years, is because we, we're talking about the deepest essence of who we are, which is not the, the word sinful. It's not sinful. Um, but we've thought of it that way because that's how we've been taught. I wonder sometimes if a child were left to just be mirrored as he or she is. And I, and I have seen this happen um, where we, we, if we can leave a child to just be mirrored for who he or she is, instead of putting our own projections on that child and our own expectations and our own agendas and our own needs and our own timetables and all of that, if we could just mirror the child, that child would become his or her authentic self. And thereby not have to use guilt to manage behavior, not have to use anything false to manage behavior, but rather would manage behavior based on their deepest essence. Uh, and, but we've been taught just the opposite. We've been taught that if you, if you don't teach a child how to behave, 
that that child's going to grow up to be a bad kid. And that, that very idea um, is based in a philosophy that says that we are bad at our deepest core. We're just bad people. And from the Western or the Christian perspective, what that means is that we are born bad. Just like that bad seed we were talking about in the first segment. We are born bad. Uh, and and that isn't true, of course, but that's what we've been taught. And all of us have believed that, that we were born into sin and that the only way to, to, uh, to fix that is to be saved in some kind of way, either through behavior or uh, through a transformation that occurs in a kind of new birth experience that's supposed to be created by a certain ritual or a prayer. So... But even that, that new birth experience, tells us that we have to be born differently than who we are. We can't be who we are. We have to be born differently. We have to be born of the Spirit. But one of the things that Jesus said, if we're going just by the Western uh, religion, the uh, traditional religion, the, what Jesus said was a man must be born of Spirit and water. Now, the water is our origin. The water, the water, Carl Jung talks about water uh, very frequently as a, a maternal force, uh, a, um, it, and it symbolizes our deepest origins. So if we're born of our deepest origins, we're born of our deepest essential authenticity. And that's what, that's what Jesus said. He didn't say just be born of spirit. He said be born of spirit and water. And that, that piece is not really understood much among the theologians that speak about the Western tradition. There's not much understanding of what water really means there. Um, and so they've uh, translated that very often as baptism. So you must be born of the Spirit and then you must be baptized. Um, but, but I think we have to look a lot deeper than pushing somebody into under the water to, to find out what's really true about who we are. So... And I've spoken mostly about the Western tradition because that's what most of us know. And, and even if we don't, aren't familiar with that, uh, we do have some archetypal stuff that goes on unconscious to most of us that's just kind of passed down as a, in a collective memory sort of way that we believe to be true, which is that we're bad people. And we have to somehow be good and we have to constrain our behaviors in certain ways or else we'll, that bad stuff is going to come out. And anything that's constrained or anything that's contrived, anything that is contrived or, or, or constrained or held back or repressed or pushed around or strived, striven after is not authentic. Now, by that I don't mean that we sit around and just wait for authenticity to blow in on us. <laughs> that's not what I mean. Uh, but I, there is a kind of effortless effort that comes from being in your own essence if I'm in my own essence, I just do what is in me next to do. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to um, um, push that river. I can just go with that flow that's inside me. People talk about that being like being in the zone when an athlete is really sort of line, aligned with his head and his heart and his soul and his body are all doing the same thing at the same time. They talk about being in the zone. Writers talk about being in the zone where, where um, there's this sense that there's a flow of energy just coming right through you and you can put it down on the paper, either through a computer paper or, uh, or a real hard copy. 
Uh, but either way, you're you're it's a, you're in that flow, you're in that zone, you're in that place where everything just sort of falls into alignment with itself, and um, and that that is what authenticity is all about. And if we can maintain that on a constant basis, then we would know that we do not need guilt to get us to run our lives. We don't need guilt to tell us we're going to do something wrong. We don't need guilt to tell us to do the right thing. First of all, because wrong and right are questionable as well. Um, we, we begin to say, well, okay, if, if, if the world is divided up into wrong and right, then so, everything is one or the other. But when we try to pin down right and see what it actually is, just, okay, what is right? Well, we can give a lot of definitions. That means you're being kind to people. That means you're being, you know, um, honest. You're being, uh, you're, you're compassionate. You, you aren't mean to people. You, you know, here we get to the uh, things you're not. You're not, you're good if you're not bad. <laughs> um, and you do these things. These are the descriptors. But sometimes people are kind to be manip- uh, as a way of being manipulative. Is that really good? Um, sometimes people are being uh, um, charming and 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 give great sacrificial gifts, even to be uh, to to you know. First um, Corinthians thirteen says, "If I would give my body to be burned, and it doesn't come from love, it means nothing, zero, nada. It means nothing." So. What does that mean? I mean, I'm doing all the right stuff. Isn't sacrifice like the ultimate in goodness, right? I'm doing it. So how come it's not enough? It's not enough because it's not coming from love. And what comes from love? But the generativity of the divine self, the self, the authentic self, the soul, whatever you want to call that. It's that place inside of us that is who we actually are as the essence, the essence of us. And it is... Uh, one with the divine. How do I know it's one with the divine? Well, you've, if you've read my book, Inhabiting Having Now, or The Law of Attraction, uh, The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can, you know that um, there's a lot of information in sacred, sacred texts all over the world that tell us, not just in the Bible, and it, but it is also in the Bible, in all the root language of the Bible, that tell us that we are divine beings who have forgotten who we are. And uh, and when we get into a meditative state, we can actually experience that, uh, where nothing else matters but right where we are right this minute, we're in the presence with with that real essence of ourselves, and it it, it has all the the qualities, if you could use that word, of divine essence. Um, it's hard to put that into words and that's why so many people don't put it into words when they've had an experience with the divine they describe things like a feeling of oneness they describe a feeling of elation or euphoria they describe this feeling of of deep peace they describe this um, a feeling that, that there is nothing wrong in the world that everything is going just as it should be going and that's the place people get to very often in meditation and it absolutely describes exactly what's in all the sacred texts around the world that tell us that we are one with the divine and that we are one with each other and with everything else and that everything is divine. And uh, so if that's really true, if we really are divine beings who've forgotten who we are, why do we need guilt? What we need to do is remember who we are. 
Guilt is plastic. Guilt is not the way to be able to get to the place of divinity. Guilt is not going to help us do that. All right, so we're going to talk about that some more right after the break. Stay tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Tune in to Spirit Speaks every week for advice just for you that is channeled from Divine Source. Host Amiya is a spiritual teacher and guide who helps listeners actively develop their full potential. Each program includes a channeled soul reading and is ready to discuss the teachings with you every week. Topics include a variety of religious and spiritual aspects, plus healing modalities and intuitive development of self. Spirit Speaks can be heard live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back for the final segment talking today about the fact that there is no such thing as good guilt. We blame this whole thing about guilt on the, the orthodoxy, whatever that is, whether it's uh, Christian or, uh, or Eastern traditions. We blame it on the orthodoxy. But actually, it started way long before that um, and um, because the orthodoxy was built on a philosophy that there is good and there is evil and we must keep ourselves from evil and strive for good and what I'm thinking, though, however, is that, you know, we've been doing this a long time. We've been trying really hard to be good people. And, yes, we have evolved. We have evolved considerably, particularly with regard to technology and science and understanding what goes on in our world and things like that. But, really, 
we're still doing a lot of bad stuff according to you know our definition of bad we're murdering people we're lying to people we're cheating people we're stealing from people we're we're greedy about our money we got the threat of an oligarchy happening right now in our country we have lots of stuff that's really going on that has everything to do with with what we would say is still evil in us and we have this fantasy in our heads that one day we'll reach this time where there'll be this great big battle between good and evil and good's going to finally win over. Lots of our stories, Tolkien uh, books and all kinds of other uh, myth- mythological stories are built on that motif of a grand battle between good and evil where a good finally eventually wins out. But can you imagine <clears throat> what's going to happen when good finally wins out, which, which we, we can't even really totally define good without having bad there in the room with it okay we 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 define good like i said a little while ago kindness is good being kind to other people is good and and taking care of other people is good and 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 then we start getting into well if you don't do these things then you're good so we have to we lean a lot on evil just to define good so what is good going to do without evil to leave on lean on it's going to try to find redefine itself in some way that has to re- pick up evil again. <laughs> you can't have one end of the polarity without the other. It's a seesaw. So we have to junk the whole thing. Sorry, but we do. Both of them got to go. Good's got to go just as bad as uh, as good as as much as bad does. So if if we do that, then what what are we left with? If we throw out the whole idea about good and evil, which scares the hell out of a lot of people, <laughs> what if we throw out the whole paradigm, what I call the good-evil complex, what's left? Us looking in the mirror at ourselves going, who am I? Who am I? And that is the question that needs to be asked. The question isn't, am I doing wrong or am I doing right? The question is, who am I? And if I've turned out to be a divine being who's forgotten who, or who she is, then Wow. Why would I even need to think about good and evil? I just need to be discovering, you know, that. I need to be digging down in that sand, you know, like a dog after a bone. I need to go after it with everything I got to find out who I am. That's what's important. And that's actually how we work with guilt. We don't work with guilt by telling ourselves not to feel guilty because then we start feeling guilty about feeling guilty. (laughs) And then we just add shame to shame. It's not going to work that way. We can't tell ourselves to stop drinking by telling ourselves to stop drinking. We can't tell ourselves to stop using drugs, to stop, you know, we can't tell ourselves to stop doing something because that behavior is just going to come right back because all we're doing is repressing it temporarily until it bubbles up to an an overwhelming um, load and then it has to spill out. And so we're not going to get there that way. So if you're listening to this show and you manage your life by guilt, I'm not telling you to stop doing that, okay? I am going to suggest that we begin to look in the mirror and understand where where the idea of guilt comes from. Where did we develop an idea that guilt should be the thing we manage our lives with? What do, where did that come from? Whose teaching have we bought? Or maybe it's so subtle that we didn't actually hear anybody say that to us, but we are modeling somebody else's behavior, or perhaps we took on the scapegoat role because the parents in the family weren't ever going to admit that they were wrong about anything and they were doing all kinds of things that were wrong and we had to sort of carry their feelings in order to stay part of the family in order to survive. Lots of reasons why we can, we can develop guilt, but what is it? What is it in your case? 
What is that? And understanding that is the first step to be able to give compassion to yourself for feeling guilty. To be able to say, I know why you feel guilty and I'm really sorry. That's, that's sad for you that you have run your life by guilt this long. And, and, and to be able to treat ourselves with that favor and mercy that says, okay, I, I get you. I know how you got stuck in this box and we're going to get you out of here. And guilt is definitely a box we can get stuck in, in extreme cases and even in mild cases, because it ultimately leads to shame. I've had people come into my office and say to me, well, I'm, you know, I don't really manage my life by guilt, but I feel really guilty about having had that abortion when I was 16 years old. Or I feel really gu- guilty because I was involved with this guy when, you know, when I was in my 20s and, 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 he, and I cheated on him. Um, or maybe I've done that several times, and I feel really guilty about that. And what they're really ta- telling me is, now that I know that I'm a bad person, I can't trust me. And that is a problem. If I can't trust me, then how am I going to make decisions? How am I going to manage my life? Because, you see, there's two things that I'm working with here. There's myself, and there's my life. And those are two different things. My life is what myself does, manages, but my myself is an entity, a personhood, a a beingness, an essence. And if we don't even know what that is, then there's a chaotic way we're probably managing our lives, and we probably don't even understand what we're doing or how we're doing it. And we live that way, and we die that way. We live eighty years, and we and we and we die without ever once understanding what's going on inside of us. And it's that process that is the process of discovering the authentic self that gets us past guilt. Because once we discover the authentic self, we begin to understand that it has a, it has a push all its own. It has a desire and a, and a manifestation of that desire. And it can, it can do that all by itself without us trying to run it by guilt, without us trying to, you know, push it around and get it to behave right. It's not going to behave wrong. Uh, you know, because it, it already knows what compassion and passion are, because that's the essence of who we are. The essence of who we are is love. The essence of who we are is love for others, love for self, love for life, love for the things of life, love for the manifestations of life. It's the raw passion of existence. That's what that's what who we are actually is. And but what blocks us from that is all the machinations about good and evil that keep us from actually seeing who we are. And all those machinations about good and evil make us feel guilty and they make us feel proud when we've done something really good. They make us feel proud. And sometimes if we can really identify with I'm a good person, then we get arrogant and, and then we're not good anymore, right? Uh, so we're, it, the, the problem is that we have divided up into good and evil. That's the problem. It's not a solution. It's been thought to be a solution for centuries. We've been doing this now for centuries and centuries and centuries. And my question is, is it working yet? Have we become the people that we want to be yet? No. Why? Why? Most people would answer, well, because that's because we're evil people. Well, my answer is because we don't know who we actually are. And knowing who we are is the answer to guilt. Um, so the process goes like this. We look in our shadow and we begin to see that um, I've got stuff in there that I haven't necessarily been aware of. 
I might catch myself doing something I've criticized somebody else for doing. I might catch myself having a feeling that I really don't appreciate having. One of those that I hear quite often about is resentment. I've got this resentment because my husband cheated on me, or I've got this resentment because I have to do all this stuff for my mother and I just hate having to be her slave, or, you know, I've got this resentment, and I shouldn't have that feeling. That's a bad feeling to have, and it means that I'm a bad person because I've got bad feelings. And what I say is, what gift has your resentment come to give you? If we stop thinking of our feelings as bad or good, then we can find the gift in them. So what gift can resentment give you? Well, if I'm doing a lot of stuff for mom or grandma or somebody else in my life that I really don't want to do, that has nothing to do with who I am or the the energy of my life force, then I need to stop doing that. And probably in that process, I'm ended up enabling them and doing something that isn't helpful to them either because we are one. And what I do that is my escape is also probably helping you escape from something you might need to see as well. So when, when it comes to actually deciding what's real and what's false inside of us, that's where the rubber meets the road. And we can do that kind of like Braille. We do that by feeling, by our sensations, our physical sensations, our mental thoughts, but more than that, our emotional feelings. And resentment can be a real good guide to help us go, oh, I'm doing a whole lot of stuff in my life that I really don't like doing. And, and no wonder I've got this ulcer. And no wonder my blood pressure's out the roof. You know, the body is also talking to us. And it's given us information. So we've got this vast field of information that we have just told ourselves not to pay attention to at all because to look at ourselves is selfish and that makes us bad and we feel really guilty for that so we we don't want to do that we want to just you know keep our focus outside on the external where people can tell us what we should and shouldn't do and if we just do that then we'll be okay and that's just a real shallow way of living and not only that but that's why we're having the high blood pressure and the ulcers and the heart attacks and all kinds of other things because we're not really tuned into who we are. We're not really aligned with, uh, with the authentic self. The soul is over here doing one thing and the brain's doing something else and the body's doing something else and the heart's doing something else. And we're just split off completely from ourselves. And that's how we live. Uh, many of us live our entire lives that way. And I think that's so very sad because there's so much more inside of us that is yet to be tapped that can inform us. We don't have to feel guilty. We don't have to worry about good and bad. We just need to find out who we are and be that. And that's, the, that's what it's all about. So when, we, when we're looking at these things that we consider to be negative feelings that we shouldn't be feeling, what, what we might need to do is take the word negative off of it altogether. There's a, there are a lot of spiritual writers out there writing about negative feelings and negative thoughts and how we need to get rid of negative feelings and negative thoughts. And in the process, we're not getting the gift that that feeling came to give us. We need to stop calling it negative. It's not negative. It's a feeling. And it's come to give us information about our lives. That's what our emotions are. They are internal messaging systems that come to give us information about our lives. And if we can pay attention to that information then we can make decisions to do something different and more authentic. And when we do that, the authentic self goes, oh, she or he is paying attention. Oh, 
Maybe I can come out a little bit more now, out into the light. Oh, let me show you a little bit more about what really goes on inside of me. And that's when we begin to feel the passion. That's when we begin to light up and enjoy. And that's when we begin to make decisions to say no to things that need to be said no to and yes to things that need to be said yes to. That's when we begin to come alive and that process begins to unfold more and more and more and more over time so that we begin to develop this very solid sense of self that's, that is grounded in life here on planet Earth, not trying to transcend life on, here on planet Earth. That's another guidance we get from a lot of spiritual teachers out there right now who are telling us that, that all of life is just an illusion and all we need to do is just don't pay any attention to that man behind the curtain. We just need to you know, stay in the world of bliss. You know, see God in everything, stay in the world of bliss, don't pay any attention to life. And my answer is, what are we doing here? We're supposed to be transcending life while we're living life? No, I don't think so. We're not looking for transcendence here. We're looking for eminence. We're looking for uh, the capacity to be here now, as Eckhart Tolle says it. Be here now, to be able to be present with what is right now and take the gift that it has to give us. Instead of saying, this should be different, my emotions should be different, my thoughts should be different, my attitude should be different, my behavior should be different, my meanness, my essence, my who I am should be different. I shouldn't be this way. I can't tell you how many people that I've worked with over the years that that is their primary complaint. I just should not be this way. And what they want to do is be some other way. And what I want is for them to be with what is long enough to get the message it has to give. And that's a difficult process. Why? Because we feel guilty. So guilt is a block to the pathway to the authentic connection to the divine. We, we are blocked in that intention to the exact degree to which we feel and manage our lives by guilt. And yet we can also sit with guilt. And, and hear its message too. What is it trying to tell us? It's trying to tell us that there's falsity in our lives. Have you ever had a dream where you're married to somebody that you know is just like a complete falsehood? Well, that's what guilt is. You're married to a falsehood. So that it can give you that message as well. It's not telling you what you should do, however. Because it, there are no shoulds. There's only compassion and passion. There's only divinity everywhere in everything. So that's what we have for today. We're coming back again next week. You want to be here for that. we got some more good shows coming up. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.